Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Israeli troops killed at least 15 Palestinians and injured more than 1,400 on Friday the 30th of March during demonstrations along Gaza's border with Israel and in cities throughout the Palestinian enclave. The demonstrations were scheduled to take place for six weeks along the border of Gaza and have been called the Great Return March. This area has been subject to an 11-year illegal blockade by Israel and Egypt. The demonstrations were planned to continue until May 15, the 70th anniversary of the establishment of the State of Israel, Al-Nakba, or Catastrophe Day. On today's program, I speak with visiting Palestinian activist and militant Huweda Araf. Huweda is in Australia as a guest of the annual International Marxism Conference organised by Socialist Alternative and held in Melbourne, Australia every Easter. My name is Huweda Araf. I am a Palestinian-American attorney and human rights activist. I'm co-founder of the International Solidarity Movement, and I'm a former chair of the Free Gaza Movement, which was sailing boats to try to break Israel's stranglehold on Gaza via the sea. So uh, over the last few days, we saw Palestinians in Gaza take action on the border, the border of Gaza and Israel, um, if we can call it that. Uh, And then we saw the IDF effectively open fire with live ammunition on those protests. What can you tell me about what's happening in Gaza at the moment? Right now, Gaza is still reeling with funerals of the 17 people that were shot dead, as you mentioned, just protesting, unarmed, nonviolent, wanting the world to hear that they have been dispossessed for 70 years and no one has been paying attention. And not only is about 70% of Gaza's population refugees that were uh, driven out of their homes when Israel took over their lands and, and created a state and destroyed their towns and villages, but now Israel has them trapped in Gaza and is literally making it impossible to live. The United Nations says Gaza is unlivable. They don't have any clean water. They only get four to six hours of electricity per day, meaning they can't run certain things in that we take for granted in our daily lives. And that includes emergency services and hospitals. Nearly half of Gaza's uh, medical centers and hospitals have closed. Because what do you do when, when Israel doesn't let you import certain equipment and medicine and then cut your electricity off when people in normal days get close to uh, the border, but still on Gaza's land because there's a lot of farmland in this border area, Israel opens fire on them. If they try to fish more than three or four miles out, the Israeli Navy shoots at them. Israel controls everything that goes in and out, and it doesn't allow people to leave, and therefore really has them trapped in this small piece of land. It's only 365 square kilometers, which is really like a fraction of the size of the city of Melbourne. 
and people aren't allowed to leave, and they are being persecuted. And so when they tried to raise their voices, as I hope the world saw, Israel put its snipers on hilltops and started shooting at these people like fish in a barrel. It was outrageous. It was criminal. And the mainstream media, um, thank goodness we have people like you, because the mainstream media is reporting these as, as clashes. Um, a Palestinian academic said the only thing clashing is Israeli bu- bullets and Palestinian bodies. These aren't clashes. These was, was a well-armed, funded, powerful military opening fire on the unarmed people, refugees that are deprived of, of everything, including the right to live any kind of, to lead a dignified life, and and they are being shot at. Not only were 17 killed, but over 1,500 injured, and now the hospitals in Gaza are having a difficult time tending to these injuries because of the restrictions that I talked about. It is very bad. We will look in some detail at um, the casualties that arose from the IDF's actions, but I do want to look a little bit at the organised protest because I think one thing it points to is that people are organised in Palestine despite the hardship, despite the pressures, despite the clamping down that Israel continues to do. There is a fighting spirit amongst Gazans. So this protest had been organised for a considerable period of time. It was a six-week organised demonstration at the border in the lead-up to Al-Nakba. So what can you tell me about the level of organisation, the level of resistance amongst Palestinians in Gaza? Sure. Uh, listen, it is hard even for me to explain as a Palestinian who has spent years working and organising in Palestine this spirit that people have because, you know, I was born and raised in the United States and so therefore I know... Uh, I've had certain privileges. I know what it's like to have freedoms and to be able to move and to be able to have certain rights and certain um, avenues by which to avenge, you know, rights. As people of, of Gaza and really all of Palestine do not know that because they have been living under such a brutal military occupation that is part of a settler colonial project that has been going on for 70 years. And therefore, anybody under the age of 70 knows nothing but this dispossession and oppression. And in Gaza specifically, there is this highly organized, really systematic effort to make people's lives unlivable. And it's not too much to say, really, that this is like a slow genocide. And when you know that you're up against this, and for the most part, the people of Gaza see that the world hasn't cared, no matter what they've done, no matter all the reports that come out from the United Nations, from human rights organizations, they talk about people's rights and they talk about the violations, but nobody does anything to hold Israel accountable. So it really is this sense of you're up against this power that is trying to wipe you out and nobody cares. And therefore, to still have the energy and the will and the spirit to organize in the hopes that still maybe, still maybe somebody will hear you, uh, it's really incredible. And so what they did was, this started, the idea started as 
a youth initiative, an, an idea amongst the Palestinian um, youth organizations and youth factions, and they took it to the different organizations and to the various political parties. And from what I hear, everybody liked the idea and got on board. And the idea is that they would erect tents along uh, this border, but not really getting very close. We must also recognize that Israel said that these Palestinians went up to the border and tried to uh, go through this border. That's not what happened. The Palestinians set up their tents about five to 700 meters from the border because they know Israel fires at people getting any closer, even though this is still Gaza's land. Um, but they set it up about five to 700 meters in five different areas, these tents, and the idea was to go there for land day. Land day was March 30th, and it commemorates in 1976 when Israel announced a plan to confiscate more land. It was a big protest amongst Palestinians to protest Israel's confiscation of land and colonization, and, and Israel killed six Palestinians who were citizens of the state of Israel and injured many, many more and arrested people. And every year since 1976, Land Day has been a really significant day. So the idea was from Land Day, March 30th, we will put up these tents and have people go there and have all kinds of activities for kids, social, cultural activities there, and stay, as you mentioned, for six weeks up until the lead-up to May 15th, which is the day that marks our Nekbe, which means catastrophe, the day that Israel declared itself a state and had virtually wiped out 500 Palestinian villages and uh, exiled three-quarters of a million Palestinians. It started our refugee problem. It started you know, the Palestinian dispossession. This May 15th marks 70 years of that. So that, that was the idea to do a very nonviolent something everyone can participate in. It was estimated that more than 30,000 people, men, women, and children, participated in this, headed toward these tents. Uh, and as we saw, there was, you know, an opening of fire. But despite this, if, if people are still, I mean, it's a tragedy, this loss of life and these serious injuries. But Palestinians are not deterred, and they're going to continue. And the idea is that even more people will mobilize for May 15th to march right back. The tents are still there. The activities have, I mean, people are now doing the funerals and tending to all the people that have been injured. So there isn't, there aren't these activities that are taking place as originally planned, but they will mobilize more people to make an even bigger showing on, on May 15th that people have declared that they are not going to be deterred. Well, it's not the first time we've seen Israel crack down on protests and protesters um, and certainly arresting people and the, the huge number of um, Palestinian political prisoners languishing in Israeli prisons. Um, the, the most famous, recent, most famous of these is young Ahed Tamimi, who is a, a young 16-year-old or 17-year-old now, um, who was arrested um, for protesting um, against these uh, various atrocities of Israel that you've detailed just a moment ago. Tell me a little bit about, firstly, what Ahed did to get arrested um, and the solidarity movement that's built up around her. Yes, thank you for that question. In fact, I was just 
um, communicating with Ahad's father last night and asking how they're doing. And his spirit is high. He's obviously very proud of his daughter and his wife, who has also been detained and been in prison. The Ahad was 16 at the time, though she, as I mentioned, lived her whole life under Israeli military occupation and is very familiar with Israeli soldiers coming into her village, uh, raiding her home, taking her father who's been imprisoned, her mother, her mother has been shot, her brother has been imprisoned. But this, and, and every week when the people of her small village of Nabi Saleh gather to protest Israel's confiscation of their land, Israeli soldiers come in and they shoot at her fellow villagers, uh, tear gas them. So she's very used to this basically ongoing terrorizing uh, that the Israeli military does. On this particular day in mid-December, Israeli soldiers came onto her land shortly after they had just shot her 15-year-old cousin, in the face, and he was in a coma in very serious condition. And therefore, when the soldiers came on her land, she confronted them, uh, stood up to them, and was arguing with them to get off her land, and then she slapped a soldier. Well, this was caught on video, and it was posted then on social media and got the attention of the Israeli news media, and they broadcast it, and the Israeli news media and the public started saying that this is shameful, that this girl, this terrorist, they called her, be allowed to treat their soldiers like this. And therefore, in the middle of the night, Israeli soldiers raided her home and dragged her from her bed and took her away. Uh, she was put in an Israeli military prison, and she was charged in the Israeli military court system. They put 12 different, accused her of 12 different things, uh, ranging from uh, assault to incitement, things that could have landed her in jail for 10 years. Because her village has been so vocal and and has been protesting and has uh, accumulated international friends and solidarity, her case really did raise international attention and people all over the world started saying, what is, you know, what is happening here and demanding that Israel free Ahed? We had a a petition that was signed by nearly 2 million people and just uh, exposing these efforts by the international community, people around the world, really also hear strongly in Australia saying, look at what Israel does to children. This created a lot of pressure on Israel. So just a couple of weeks ago, they offered her a plea deal where she would plead guilty to four of the charges, and she would spend eight months in jail. Now, this is completely unjust. It's outrageous. She has had no kind of due process. In fact, during her military trials, Israel closed it off to the public. They didn't want anyone to see what was happening behind closed doors. But as outrageous and unjust as it is, the only reason they offered this deal is because of the international pressure that they were receiving, and it didn't look good for them. And it was much better than the 10 years uh, or, or even two or five years that she could have gotten, and much better than most Palestinian uh, people and especially Palestinian children receive. Every year, Israel puts five to 700 Palestinian children through the military court system, taking them from their homes in the middle of the night, interrogating them with no attorney, no parent present, no due process, and prosecuting them in this system where the prosecutor, witnesses, the 
judge, the jury, they're all part of the Israeli military. And therefore, this court system has nearly a 100% conviction rate. And that is why Ahad and, Ahad and her family felt that you know, rather than lose the years of her life that she could have, and which many Palestinian children do behind bars, she took the eight, eight months. So she will be spending another four to five months in prison. And then she has to pay a big fine. And she also has a suspended sentence that if they arrest her again, she will have to serve out the rest of it. But what she is saying, and when Ahid was asked what she thought of her sentence, she very you know, acutely said, this is an illegitimate court and there is no justice under occupation. And she urges us to draw attention to the other Palestinian children that haven't got the the exposure that she has gotten. And in the hopes that you know, th- this kind of just awareness and international solidarity, there is a widespread recognition amongst Palestinians that we really need it in order. You know, we will, as Palestinians, keep fighting and keep struggling, but without international solidarity, uh, we will be crushed and Israel will not think twice about crushing us and the governments won't do anything. It's only the outrage of the people that have so uh, warmly stood side by side with us. If we can just continue to increase that and stand by each other because the struggle for justice is, really is one, um, that will eventually break down this massive oppressive system and this colonial regime that has been taking our land and, and systematically wiping us out. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Huweda Araf, a Palestinian activist and militant based in the United States of America. She's in Australia as a guest of the annual Marxism conference organised by Socialist Alternative over the long weekend. We're discussing Israel's most recent attack on innocent Palestinians during a protest on the Gaza border. Well, there is international solidarity in the form of moral outrage, which is useful and it builds morale and um, lets the Palestinians know that we're supporting them. But there is also international solidarity by way of um, more direct action um, and ways to impact Israel economically. And this is the international BDS campaign. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, thank you for that question. Because of this realization that states unquestionably support Israel, the United States, where you know I am living, gives Israel over three billion dollars a year in military weaponry, protects them against any kind of action by the UN. Uh, if we are going to move something, it's really through the people. And one of the things that can be powerful is modeled after what we saw the international community lead so beautifully against apartheid South Africa, which is a, an international effort to isolate apartheid South Africa until it changed, until the oppressive regime fell. Uh, maybe that could also work in Palestine. And in the lead-up to Palestinians issuing this call, it was it, talking to South African colleagues and comrades uh, about how this might also work for us in Palestine. And so in 2005, Palestinian civil society, from all across the board, all the political factions, the workers' parties, the unions, the student groups, the NGOs, issued a call for global boycott, divestment, and sanctions. 
So boycotting or moving for resolutions and, and efforts to divest and also trying to pressure governments to sanction Israel uh, towards the realization of three goals. So our our asks are three. One, that Israel ends its military occupation of all uh, Arab-Palestinian lands. Uh, two, that Israel, because there are Palestinian citizens inside Israel, their situation is a little bit better than those in the West Bank and Gaza or in the refugee camps, but they are still systematically discriminated against. There's an institutionalized discrimination, so they're not equal citizens. Um, that Israel start treating all its citizens equally. And three, that the refugees uh, be allowed to come home and get reparations in accordance with international law. So three very simple demands, all in accordance with international law. And until Israel does all three that you know the, the world you utilize this form of nonviolent organizing and pressure to to uh, really put that pressure on Israel and uh, you know you mentioned economic pressure which hopefully it, it could also come to because we know that economics was big also the sports boycott was big in South Africa there are certainly differences but more than economics here, we think the the act of think, turning Israel really into a pariah state, one of the ways it is able to continue doing what it's doing is this constant projection of itself as the victim. And Palestinians are the terrorists, and Israel is the poor victim, and therefore all of its actions are necessary in order to you know, protect itself and its peace and its people and its democratic way of life. That is the image that Israel projects, and that is anything but the truth. And then when, so when people organize to suddenly not do uh, business, not cooperate with any any element that is in any way supporting Israeli policies, and that includes anything that is funded by the state, any corporations that you know, that do business with Israel and, and again, support the Israeli state. All of these, uh, we ask for boycott and divestment against. There are some people that say, you know, we should only boycott the settlements, but this isn't sufficient. Israel does have about 600,000 illegal settlers sitting on confiscated, colonized land, and these settlements all have vibrant economies, and there are entities, corporations, institutions that do do business with these settlements. But it's more than just the settlements. I mean, that is certainly a symptom of the colonization uh, and the oppression. But it's more widespread than that. And it's Israel's, the entire, you know, settler, colonial, apartheid regime that has to change. And for anything associated with the state, there's also a, a global call for an academic boycott and a cultural boycott. Because all of this Israel uses to project this image of, of advancement and uh, prosperity and really they call themselves like a, a light upon nations. And that is what we have to change. And so if we manage to do that in, in isolating Israel in this way and saying, no, we're not going to do business with you, we're not going to have these academic exchanges with your institutions that support your occupation and your colonization, then that really turns Israel into this isolated pariah state. And I think more than the economic impact, the psychological impact will come to a breaking point. Because 
you know, I don't think any society wants to live like this. But right now, Israel, Israelis, most Israelis could care less what their government is doing to, to Palestinians. And we need the Israeli people to care and to rise up and change their government. Of course, I say this knowing that there's also a small segment of Israeli Jews that have stood with us. But in large parts, they don't care and they support their extremist government. And so pressure has got to be put on on the people to rise up and change it. And that will come through people knowing that they can't travel freely and their sports teams cannot participate freely in the international community. They cannot um, do as they want while they you know, turn their backs on what their, the state government is doing to the Palestinian people. Well, Hoeda, thank you so much for your time on the program today. Um, was there anything you wanted to add to this discussion? Just to say... You know, sometimes we think Palestine is so far away and we have all of our own daily stresses and what can I do for Palestine anyway? But just to know that simple acts of solidarity mean so much to a people that are really surrounded and, and oppressed and fighting really for their lives and to see that somebody outside cares and is doing something so simple as holding up a sign or seeing saying free Palestine or maybe even engaging in these boycott divestment actions, it really does a lot to increase the morale. And this people person-to-person solidarity is incredible in supporting each other, you know, ending the oppression in Palestine and around the world towards the kind of world that we want to create. And so I just urge everybody listening not to feel despair, to know that we're strong together and all these little actions help so much. And so I want to thank you for having me and giving me a chance to talk a little bit uh, about Palestine and the importance of what you do to us. That was Huweda Araf, a Palestinian activist and militant based in the United States of America. She was in Australia as a guest of the annual Marxism conference organised by Socialist Alternative over the Easter long weekend. We discussed Israel's most recent attack on innocent Palestinians during a protest on the Gaza border. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. حلمك حقيقة بس بده فكرة بالأغاني بالمحبة أملك بيحلق يأسك متخبي يلا نغير من زوانا لما تضعف إيدك معانا ضلك صامد ما تترازع رح يجي حقك ما تفكره ضايع